0: Morning. morning. I don't know if you all had a blast at the Backyard Bash. If you missed it, well, we'll do it again next year. Mark it on your calendars. Don't miss it. Be there. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was really hot, <laughs> as was a lot of things was this week. Um, but in thinking about those moments and those opportunities to show love to others, and uh, what I think I truly enjoyed too, besides just meeting some of our new neighbors was just connecting some of you with other people in the church. And you got to meet some people that maybe you didn't know in our church uh, as well that night. And uh, that, was, that was so fun. Um, grab your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We want to make sure everybody's got something in their hands. We don't put the words on the screen here. We'll put the reference. Um, but I'm, I'm old school. I like hearing the pages flip. I understand we're in a new generation. Some of you like hitting that iPad or phone, looking up your scripture. That's fine, too. But I like it when we all look together. So you open up your Bibles to Romans 8. I just want to remind you of what we have been doing as we're going through Romans chapter 8. In response to God's grace, to his love for us, his dying on, sending his son to die on the cross, the new life we have, there should be some kind of response from us as Christians. There should be some kind of radical response. Somebody does something outstanding for you, such as they place their life on the line for you. They give their life to you. Shouldn't there be some kind of response from you? Yeah, a radical response. And that's what Romans 8 is. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're adopted into the family of God. We are called His children. And we got to Romans chapter 8, verse 17 last week. So if you'll look there with me, I'll read that. And since we are His children... We will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his Son, Christ, is ours too. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And we're like, whoa, share his suffering? I get that first part, right? We're led by God's Spirit as, as his children. We're led by God's Spirit. So our, our actions, our conduct is reflection of our Savior, So we have this new relationship with God. He gives us His Spirit. So His Holy Spirit abides in us, works in us. We don't fully understand it, but we know that He convicts us. He teaches us. But we also discover then we participate in the sufferings of Christ. And we're like, I don't like that part, right? None of us like to suffer. So last week we talked about the purpose of suffering and why it's there. And um, this past week... uh, A member of our church has said, hey, do you have that on CD so I can hand it out to somebody? You can go to our website, hit the podcast, listen to back sermons. But if you still want a CD, let us know. That was a great reminder. We never announced that, but I'll make that announcement now. Maybe you've got somebody going through a time of suffering. They want to hear that message. Point them to the website. Get them a CD. Make sure they hear God's word. But we get to that second part of that verse where it says we also share in what? The glory of God. So we took care of the suffering last week. This week, we're going to shift gears and work on the glory of God. And as I've studied and I've prepared, there's a few theologians and commentaries out there that would probably agree that when it comes to defining the word glory, it's a tough thing to do. It's sort of hard to comprehend. and, And actually, we sing about this song, and you've heard the song on the radio. We've sung it here, and I never can get this young lady's name right. Francesca. Francesca Francesca see I couldn't get her first name right I was thinking San Francisco and I've totally messed up can you please say her name nice and loud Francesca Battistelli. thank you and you wonder why I can't say that if her name was like I don't know Lisa Smith that would be easy okay two common names right Francesca Battistelli anyway that song Holy Spirit you are welcome here if she's singing that song there's a phrase in that song that we have sung your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. And as I listen to that song again after studying and preparing for this week, I'm thinking, she's is almost singing this chapter. She's almost singing this verse. Your glory, Lord. That's what our hearts are longing for, isn't it? To be in the presence of God's Spirit. Isn't that what we want and we desire? Glory gives us that idea, though, as we look through and try to define it of seeking approval. It's like as a... And I think about my kids, how they maybe try to seek my approval. I know I tried to seek the approval of my mom and dad. When I was a kid, I wanted to do what would honor them, okay? When you're the last of six kids, I watched all my siblings go through what it means to disobey and be disciplined. Whether it was a belt, whether it was a paddle, there, there were no timeouts. Timeouts is, happens in a ball game. okay? There's no timeouts in our home going up, okay? If there was a timeout, if there was a belt and a paddle, and then you can go to your room, and that might be the timeout, but there was something that preceded that, you know what I'm saying? But I watched all that, and so when I came along, you know, in third grade, I, my mom showed me this piece of paper that said, things you like and don't like, I guess our teacher wanted to know us the first couple of days, so things I don't like, and I guess I wrote down green beans and getting in trouble, so it was like from the start, everybody knew Rex doesn't want to get in trouble. Why is it? Because I wanted to find approval from everybody, from my parents, from God. I grew up in the church thinking, what? Don't get mad. Don't let God get mad at you, because then He won't love you. God will not love you if you screw up, if you mess up. That's sort of how I grew up thinking that. So I was always trying to win the approval of God, win the approval of man, win the approval of my parents. And I think about this as a child wants approval from his parents and it's right to want that. And we think about this, we, God's creation, we want approval from our creator. We want God to look down on us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we want to behave in a way that brings God's approval, not destroys God's approval. The problem is it's so hard to do because we're sinful people. And so that's why it's so important when God intervenes to save us, to transform us, which He does in Jesus Christ. And it's in that moment, that's a moment of glory. That kind of glory denotes worth and acceptance and approval. So that's one way of defining glory. But glory also denotes brightness and brilliance and radiance. In Old Testament, the Hebrew glory signified a a weightiness, a heaviness. Let me read three scriptures to you. Dan will throw them up on the screen. Exodus chapter 40, verses 33 to 35, it says this. Then he hung the curtains forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. He set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. So at last, Moses finished the work. They were so excited, the children of Israel, Moses, that the the tabernacle was complete. Then it says in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord... Filled the tabernacle. There was a heaviness, there was a weightiness, as the glory of God came upon the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud settled down over it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This heaviness. Psalm 19:1 it says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. So how is God described in relation to glory then? Psalm 24 8. Who's the king of glory? So if there is glory, who would be the king? Who would be the ultimate, the top, the pinnacle when it comes to glory? Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. So glory is the word best used to describe God's magnificence, his brilliance. So when we give glory, which means to praise, to magnify to celebrate, to render it excellent. Glory to God. What we're saying is we're magnifying God. The heaviness of His brilliance and radiance is incredible, cannot be compared. And we're saying all the glory to Him. This is what's glory. And in this particular passage, look at verse 17. It says what? We share in His glory. Wow, wait a minute. The King of glory, the heaviness, the willingness, the brilliance of God we share in that. Isn't it hard to believe? Because what we we're sinners, we mess up. We can't even think about. No, I'm 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 blown. Wait, what did Romans eight one say? Therefore, now there is what no condemnation. You've been forgiven, people. So please understand this: as a child of God who is forgiven, you get to share in His sufferings, but you share in His glory. You share in His glory. We think about this, we we approve together, we join in approving, to be exalted to the same glory which Christ has been raised. That's almost unbelievable, incomprehensible. How do you even think of such a thing, right? I agree. I I can't define it. And you think about this, we, meaning mankind, don't we long for the glory that was once enjoyed by Adam and Eve? Don't Don't we sort of long for that? I mean, Adam was made in the image of God according to Genesis 1, and 27. I mean, so if he's created an image of God, which means man at one time shared in the glory of God. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they were sharing in the glory of God. They walked in the garden together. They conversed. But today, mankind is what? Nothing compared to what Adam was, right? We've fallen from God's grace and glory to a degree you think about this, when Adam and Eve sinned, physical decay, sickness, death, suffering, all came. And from what we understand, they were not originally destined to die. From what we understand, as they walked and talked in the garden, a beautiful place, a soul untarnished by sin. There they are in the presence of God. They weren't supposed to die. There was no death. There was no suffering. They shared in the glory of God. But now it's gone. And it's that glory that Paul says we share in a future glorification. Look at verse 17 again. And since we are His children and His heirs, in fact, together with the heirs of God's glory, but if we're to share in that glory, we also share in His suffering, right? Right? There's a desire within us to return, to be restored to that state of position that Adam and Eve experienced. But when we look at verse 18, what does 18 say? Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. Did you read that? Did you hear that? Read it again. Yet what we suffer now, nothing compared to the glory he'll give to us later. Let's play the compare game. okay? Let's play the compare game. Would you rather have a hundred dollars or a million dollars? Which would you rather have? How many? Would, what would you choose? Bingo! How many agree with that answer? Raise your hand. A million dollars. Excellent. You're going to stick with me on this. Okay, I got two more. You ready? Okay, here we go. Let's do this. Would you rather have? Oh, this might be tough for you though. Would you rather have a bike or a new car or a big truck? I'm going to defer to your brother. A new, truck. a new truck. Good answer. What were you going to say? A new truck. Good answer. How many would have said a new truck or a new car? Raise your hand. Some of you are liars, okay? Because nobody raised your hand. So really, you want a bike. Some of you, you at your age, you shouldn't be on a bike, okay? <laughs> Tom, what did you choose? <laughs> you, okay, all right. One more. Would you rather have a bite of pie? Or would you rather own a successful bakery? (laughs) Let's go with the answer. What would you choose? A successful bakery. How many went with that answer? Okay, again, some of you are still a little slow and not raising hands. I understand you don't want to participate. That's fine. For all you participate today, when you leave, you get. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Here's the deal there's no comparison. Hundred dollars make oh there's no comparison. I want the million dollars. A piece of pie or my own successful bakery? Are you kidding me? A bike or a brand new? I'm going with the car. There's no comparison. You don't even have to think about it. You do not even have to think about it. there's nothing worth more, right? And what did Paul say about God's glory? Read it again. There's nothing compared to the glory of God. Suffering, God's glory. Not even comparable. Not even comparable. Paul compares in verse 18 with the future glory to be enjoyed by God's people with the present suffering. And he tells us that the glory of God far outweighs the suffering. He says this, nothing compared, not worth comparing. And in the Greek, that means to drive, lead, or cause to move. Figuratively, it's used in a picture of something to promote motion, okay, towards a heavier balance. We would use the phrase to tip the scales. Okay? So you would put something on there, it would tip the scales, it would be like, boom, it just totally outweighed that sort of over here, okay? That's what Paul is saying. Your life and suffering, then Paul says this, I'm going to put glory on this side of the scales and watch what happens. And all of a sudden, boom. God's glory outweighs suffering, not even comparable. And remember, glory itself denotes something that is what? When you go back to the original Definition of glory, it's weighty, it's heavy, it's having great substance. So Paul's saying that the future glory laid up for us is so heavy that our present suffering is like a feather. You can't compare it. Now, as Landon was up here earlier and he was getting ready to pray and lead us into a time where he said, I'm not sure where Pastor Rex is going to go with the sermon today, but here's a scripture I want to share. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He was spot on. I told him I walked in. I got a text message as I walked in the doors this morning. And it was uh, from a gentleman who uh, sends out daily uh, emails. or I'm sorry, daily text messages. And I turned it on, and as I'm walking in here, and I was like, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. And I was like, are you kidding me? There are moments when, when we preach, when we gather for church, That God's like, this is the message I want you to preach today. And there's times when I will leave on a Sunday, being human like all of you, wondering, was that okay? (laughs) Did the message hit home with anybody? Because I'm, listen, I'm human, okay? So I question my ability at times. And then there are Sundays when I walk in and I hear a song, and then I get a text, and then they play a song up here, and it's boom, boom, boom. It's all lining up with what I'm, we're preaching on. I'm thinking, this is meant to be preached today. This was meant to be heard. You know what that does for me? It fires me up because I'm sitting back there and Landon's like, I don't know if what Rex is preaching on, but if this is the scripture and I'm going after that text message and after what Landon said, and then I, the song I heard them singing earlier, I'm going, God, you want this today. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, in my heart, I'm standing up here today saying, This message, God wants me to share. So, what does that do? That fires me up because now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm supposed to tell you this. Did you ever have a message that you know you're supposed to tell somebody? And it's like, I can't wait to tell them this because, you know, I, I just can't wait because I know they're supposed to hear this. You know how you get fired? That's how I feel right now as I'm looking at it. So, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 starting in verse 16. Actually, I'm going to take you back, I'm sorry, to verse 8. I want to preface this with something. Paul says in verse 4, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're hunted down, but God never abandoned us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. Through suffering suffering, these bodies of ours are constantly sharing in the death of Jesus so that, its a huge phrase right there, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So that the life of Jesus will be obvious in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death but has resulted in eternal life for you. And as I'm reading that then, he's he's sharing about his sufferings and his persecution. Now move forward to verse 16. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, hashtag suffering, are quite small, won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not seen. For the troubles will, will soon be over. But the joys to come last forever. When you start comparing Romans 8, 18 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it lines up so incredibly and so beautiful. Their intensity, both of them are saying the same thing. Suffering is heavy. Suffering hurts, right? We're all there. It hurts so much we scream, we cry without reason, we experience deep pain. We're a nation in turmoil where police are being shot, right? The innocent are hurt. We get that. This week, locally, a young girl's life is senselessly ended. We think about work situations, what goes on at work or home life or relationships. And we what? We experience suffering. But Paul says the intensity of those sufferings, not weighty at all compared to the glory of God. The intensity of God's glory far outweighs the suffering. Both passages are saying that. And then look at their duration, too. Paul distinguishes here by saying our present sufferings, which means those belonging to this present age, what's happening right now. And then he compares that to the glory to what? Be revealed, meaning the unchanging and eternal glory of the age to come. Paul calls the sufferings momentary, momentary. And the glory what? Eternal. Eternal. It's hard to think of them in eternal terms, isn't it? Especially when you're in a moment of hurting, like right now. This hurts, this stings. And God says, but my glory is eternal. It's hard for us to picture that, right? You maybe remember when Adam Tracy was here with Children's Lantern and he gave you a picture. I'm going to give you that same picture again because it goes with the scripture, right? So I'm going to need some help. This time I'm going with older brother. Come up here. Anna, I'm going to go with you. We're going to do this. We're going to tie up all the adults so they won't leave during the sermon. Just kidding. You're going to take this end of the rope and that end of the rope and just start walking as far as you can both directions. see what happens. Oh, okay. You're going to have to stop, so just start reeling it in. When you get to the wall, just start reeling it in. There you go. Go ahead and raise it up high. We're going to do a big jump rope. Everybody, on the count of. No, it's Ken. Okay. So, thank you very much. It's one of my climbing ropes. I haven't used it in a while. Okay. But this rope here is going to represent for us eternity. Oop, got pulled tight again. There you go. Yeah, you can pull it. You can, you, can, you can really, literally hold thousands of pounds with this rope. Okay. Yeah. So, here's what we're going to do because we don't fully get this. Okay. remember the illustration with Adam. What he showed was this. This is the line of eternity. From when time began, way over there, to when time will end, it just goes on. It's, it's, It's eternal, right? And we try to wonder what our lives are like. So i got a small piece of tape here, okay? And this represents from Adam and Eve being created in the world, right, to today. This... Really a little small piece right here. It's this little strand, okay? That's that's probably about three, four hundred years, maybe. Maybe a thousand. Let's put that on there. Okay. Now, that, and That's representing a thousand years, okay? Can everybody see that tape? Can you see the strand? How many of you cannot see the strand? Okay, a lot of you can't see the strand, okay? But the crazy thing is in life right now you see the suffering in your life and it's magnified, isn't it? But eternal perspective, our present sufferings, somewhere in here, somewhere in here, you can't really see it, but our present sufferings compared to the glory of God. You see what the scriptures saying? It's not even comparable. That's why Paul says, nothing compares to the glory of God. You can't compare it. It's It's eternal. Momentary affliction, momentary suffering, eternity. Get that picture? Okay, go ahead and drop the robe and just leave it right down there and have a seat. Thank you. We'll just leave it there for the rest of the service. Thank you so much. Now, the challenge for us is what? To focus on that eternal glory. That's a challenge because the momentary sufferings is just so big and in our face, it's hard for us to focus on that future glory. It far outweighs the suffering and the turmoil and the pain, which is great news, but because we're so limited in time as human beings that we can only focus about one thing, what's going on right now, right? Or our worries about other things. We sit in darkness. We forget that Jesus Christ brings light. And we wonder, does these present sufferings really serve a purpose? So now I'm going to refer to that message that came to me this morning. Okay. And this, I want to read this to you because when this came in, I thought, wow, I, I just want to share this because this might help you understand, okay? We're going to use the illustration of you and I in the womb of our mother, okay? I know you don't remember the prenatal season, so let me remind you what happened during it. Every gestation day equipped you for earthly life. Inside your mother's womb, your bones solidified, your eyes developed, the umbilical cord transported nutrients into your growing frame. For what reason? So that you could remain in the womb? No, quite the contrary. Womb time equipped you for earth time, suited you up for postpartum existence. Some prenatal features went unused before birth. You grew a nose, but you didn't breathe. Your eyes developed, but you could not see. Your tongue, toenails, and the crop of hair served no function in your mother's belly. But aren't you glad you have them now? Certain chapters in life seem so unnecessary, like nostrils to the preborn, Suffering, loneliness, disease, holocaust, monsoons. If we assume this road exists just for pre-grave happiness, these atrocities disqualify it from doing so. But what if earth is the womb? Might these challenges serve as they may, severe as they may be, serve to prepare us and equip us for the world to come. So as Paul wrote, these little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all of our troubles seem like nothing. And I read that and I thought, and that was from uh, Max Lucado's book, Fearless, which got forward to me. And I thought, yes, yes, that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. Thank you, God, for that little word of encouragement. And in the light of the present, what does Paul then say in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18? He said, that's why we never give up. Look at verse 18. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we will now, or For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Never give up. Hang in there, it's all cliche-like, right? It sounds like such a cliche. Never give up. Hang in there. But that's what Paul's preaching. There's a recent movie, obviously it wasn't true, okay, but it's a great picture of endurance. It's called The Martian. I don't know if anybody saw that, okay? But in this movie, it dealt with the United States. They had a team of astronauts on the planet of Mars, and they built sort of a makeshift um, temporary colony, just you know, a little ship there in a little place. Something happens, and they have to abandon Mars and head back to Earth. And in the process, one astronaut gets left behind. They thought he was dead. Come to be, he was actually still alive. So as the ship is heading back home, which is going to take years to get home, right, they find out that he's alive. And Earth finally is able to communicate. And in the process, they're going to figure out how can we go back and rescue him before he runs out of food and water and oxygen and everything else. And that's basically what the movie was about. Fictitious yet, nothing short though of the many stories that you and I hear about all the time about people who endure and say, I'm not going to give up. I will do everything I can to live. I will do everything I can to survive. I'll do everything I can until help comes, which that movie would seem to be about. But we see that all the time in real life. And Paul says, hey, I've fought this out. Matter of fact, there's a word that says, I reckoned. If you read different translations... Or in our translation, that I read it, says, I consider, okay? Which means he's weighed things out. He's reasoned it over. This present world is tough. Yes, I've thought about it. Filled with suffering. But nothing comparable to the glory that is ahead. Nothing comparable to the glory that is ahead. I've thought it out. I've reasoned it out. This isn't blind faith. This is like, well, just trust Jesus. No, I've thought it out. I'm trusting Jesus. Think it through. It's worth enduring this present suffering for what's to come. Yes, because the present sufferings don't compare with the future glory. Not even comparable. Put them both on the scale, Paul says. When you do, you discover present sufferings, nothing. Glory, everything. Everything. Paul continues in his verses. Look at verses 19. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 19, he says this, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates a day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies that he's promised us. As Paul is talking here, he goes, hey, let me talk about the physical world, okay? The inanimate things. Not man, but let's talk about matter. Let's talk about plants. Let's talk about, well, let's talk about animals and their current Imperfection, and they're longing for a day of liberation. Paul personifies nature in expressing that like us, like showing us that even nature is wanting to become more. It's waiting for God's glory. The world's not to be worshipped, right? We do Sometimes we get a little too crazy on this earth, and we're like, we're going to worship the earth, and we get over a little too green, okay? But let's remember this. Being created, we don't worship things that are created. Follow me on this? We do not worship things that have been created. We worship the creator. That's a problem. Sometimes we worship creation instead of the creator. We worship people. We worship sports. We worship occupation. We worship arts. We worship music. We worship anything you can think of. We worship food. We worship entertainment and entertainers. And God says, I'm the one that created all that. Why are you worshiping that, not me? I love mountains, but I don't worship mountains. I love creation, but I cannot worship creation. It did not come into existence on its own. It was created by God, and therefore it does have value. The earth has incredible value, but again, it's God's creation. So we worship the creator, not creation. We also know that the world, though, is not what it was created to be. Besides the infliction that we've put upon this earth with pollution, whatever it may be, the world is fallen prey to the curse of sin. Genesis chapter 3 says this, that the earth, just like mankind, was cursed. So when you read in verse 20 of Romans 8, what does it say? Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Referring back to Genesis 3. This earth is decaying. It is dying. As a result of sin, that's how the earth is described. And I want to read something to you I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. You can read along, but I'm going to read it from a different translation, the NIV. It says this, For the creation was subjected to frustration. Everybody know what it means to be frustrated? The creation was subjected to it, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself, listen, will be liberated from a couple things. One is bondage and decay, and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. Listen, we all know what it feels like to be defeated and frustrated, right? When something doesn't go our way, we get frustrated. When we lose, we get frustrated. When we want somebody to do something, they don't do it, we get frustrated. We get that, right? uh, C.S. Lewis gives us a a picture of how uh, creation is possibly frustrated in the Chronicles of Narnia. You may remember the Chronicles of Narnia and the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now in that book, okay, the land was in a state of what? Perpetual winter. It's always cold. It's always winter. Spring never came. But when Aslan, the lion, died and rose again, which was supposed to be a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ice began to melt. Flowers began to bloom. Things started to turn green. And the eternal spring was brought into existence. Now, using that image, I want you to think about this. The earth as we know it, like right now, is like in a winter state. It's looking forward to an eternal spring. It's frustrated because it is not yet what it was created to be. Our winters of personal discontent and frustration is someday going to pass, church, and we will taste the glory of a perpetual spring, an eternal spring. And Paul gives us that picture through creation. He uses the word bondage to describe the state of nature and earth as well. When you're in bondage, you are powerless. Nature is powerless right now to do anything about decay and destruction. It needs to be rescued and freed by God. That's what redemption is all about. And then Paul uses finally the word decay. Earth is not evolving. We're not going out there and saying, wow, it's getting better and bigger. And No, it's decaying. It gives us a picture of God's decaying creation on its tiptoes, looking for the glory of God to come. That's the picture here in Romans chapter verses 20 to 22. In Genesis, the curse was given when man sinned, but the promise for redemption, for salvation, was also stated in Genesis. Let me read this to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God said this, speaking to Satan, the serpent, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Referring to when Christ comes to free us, to redeem us. It's a promise that God would frustrate Satan and undo the destructive works and bring a redeemed human race into a redeemed creation. When will this be? What's going to be like? We don't have all those answers. But we were given small glimpse. Let me read this to you. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. You've heard the scripture before. I know you have. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. A little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, as, for as the waters fill the sea... So the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. This world is a fallen place with misfires and failures and suffering. And we can't place our ultimate hope in the world's conditions to get better. It's only going to be redeemed by our God. Winning doesn't solve everything, church. It might make you feel better for the moment. For all you athletes out there, well, winning solves a lot of things. It doesn't solve everything. Politics, sorry, money, position. Does not solve everything. Great families. Hey, the Stump family. We're like the, you know, like the Brady Bunch, or no, that's not. It's work. That's a, that's sort of a blended family. We're like the Cosby family. No, we're not like the Cosby family. We're the Stump family, and guess what? We're full of failures and mishaps, just like everybody else. Not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect family out there. No such thing. Your hope can't lie in a council. Your hope can't lie in a job. Your hope can't lie in all these things that I've been saying. All things will fail. But here's the thing. We don't give up. We don't give up. We'll continue to do our best in serving God, although our works don't save us. What we did at the Backyard Bash, feeding the hungry, feeding our neighbors, that's great. Continue to be in the church, but that doesn't save us. That's just our way of saying, God, thank you for letting us serve you. We want to be the church to everybody else. So we'll continue to feed the poor and comfort each other and show compassion and love of God. But our eyes got to be on Jesus. Lexi, when you're playing basketball and you're at the free throw line and you've got people that may be standing behind, you're getting ready to shoot your free throw, you've got your stance, you've got your form, you're ready to go, the ball's in hand. And you see the rim, and then you see somebody over here waving a fat head of your principal or somebody like that, or people cheering over here. The pressure's on. Where do you place your focus at? Help me out. Where's your focus going to go? Right on the basket. Your eye's going to be right there. And all the junk that's going on around you, all the pressure that's coming on your eyes, your focus is on one primary spot, right? That's the picture that we have. Our eyes, our focus is gazed on Jesus Christ. I know we got all kinds of stuff going on around us all the time, but our eyes must be focused on one place. Where else are you going to look? Everybody else will eventually disappoint you. Everything else is going to crumble around us. Only Jesus is worthy of our trust. Worship team, would you come forward, please? So here's the thing. We're going to share in His glory, the glory of God. Think about this. We're going to share in the glory of God. Nothing compares to it. Your present sufferings, my present sufferings, as small as they may be, right here. Present sufferings. That was close. you yeah. know glad I didn't trip you. You can't even see it compared to God's eternal glory. Not comparable. The weightiness, not comparable. God's glory is amazing. But here's what, church. Get your eyes off your suffering. Get your eyes on Jesus. Focus that on Jesus, the one who's promised to redeem us and save us and share his glory with us. That's where our eyes need to be. Would you please stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an amazing God. I thank you, Lord, that in spite of what we're going through in our lives, these present sufferings are nothing comparable to your eternal glory. The glory you say, I want to share. Are you kidding me? We can't even understand that because when somebody shares something with us, we think, well, they probably got plenty of it or it's not a big sacrifice to them. But God, you say, I want to share my glory with my creation. So hard for us to understand. It's so incredible. So God, we say thank you. Thank you for wanting to share that glory with us. Thank you for being incredibly full of glory above all things your glory is brilliant it's heavy it's weighty so Lord when we sing glory to you we're saying we're just going to magnify that we're giving you all the glory the incredible thing is you're saying that I'm going to share it with you so hang in there church hang in there our present sufferings are just momentary but our future Lord, I just pray for this church right now that if we're struggling today, Lord, help us just confess to you. Help us to surrender to you. Say, I can't do this anymore. I've been trying to fix this on my own. Just surrender. Church, just surrender. You don't have to take care of your suffering anymore. Give it to God. Let me make an exchange. Me give you his glory. Share in it. your eyes fixed on a church. God, that's what we need to do. Put our eyes on you. So God, as we sing this song, our eyes on you. What an incredible, glorious God you are. We worship you, Lord, song and truth. In my name we pray.